Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Start playing with some jam in here. Let's go. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhard. Yes, it is. Episode 11. What a week for the Flyers. Now, after a disappointing week, two weeks ago now, they are now on a four-game win streak after tonight's win, 5-1 to one, against the New York Rangers. This is Orange and Backcheck, episode 11. Scott Weinhardt is sitting across from me in studio. Scott, how are we feeling? Oh, man. It's amazing how a week can change things. You know, last week we are talking about that they may need to bring in a player yeah, uh, we got to see how the the roster will respond from there. After our podcast last week, Konechny came back. Your boy Tyler Pitlick came back. Yeah, and this team, after dropping three straight, which they didn't play poorly, it just it was more of a roster issue. It wasn't they, even a roster issue. Just, it was just the fact that you found out yeah. one of your players had cancer, and that's going to mess anyone up. And not just that, having to basically losing like basically two full lines, essentially, in a matter of days. Now, all of a sudden, to go off and win four straight? I mean, incredible. I, You know, it it really should show you the resiliency of this team and how far yeah. along they've come in just one calendar year. I mean, it does help that these games were at home. They, the three-game losing streak was obviously on in the Midwest slash the West Coast with Winnipeg. Uh, and it's just like, this team is the best team at home. The bar none. There's no team now, right now, better than the Flyers at home. They're hovering around 75% of their points conversion at home, which is an absurd stat. It's damnly impressive. And to your point about comparing this team to last year and this year, this we're talking about two different teams. Yeah. Yeah, more, more than two different teams. I mean, you think about it from this perspective. They turned a good portion of the roster over. They got rid of the guys who were not producing and got guys in your bottom six who were actually helping push the pace. Yeah, the the fourth line means something right now, and that's exactly where they are in terms of where the NHL is anyway. And the fact that the Flyers are now in 2019-2020 finally having an ability to roll all four lines consistently, one is an indication of how long it took this front office to finally realize that they need all four lines but also Vigneault knew what he was doing when he stepped in whenever he was hired I'm blanking on the date but either way like and I think that one of the things that people aren't realizing is how much they've improved defensively yeah I mean this team has cut down its goals against dramatically this team has played better overall defensively this team is getting more offense from their defensemen adding Matt Niskan is a huge part of that 
You don't see Justin Braun on the ice on a night-in, night-out basis, which is not a bad thing, meaning that he's out there and he's doing well. You know, he might be a couple minus on the year, but, I mean, he if you don't notice a defenseman, it means he's playing well. And I haven't seen too many mistakes out of the defenseman this year. You have some younger guys up front who are prone to offensive turnovers. Farabee's one of them. Frost, he hasn't had the best of weeks, in my opinion. He's, no. he's turned the puck over a lot in the past week, and he hasn't contributed too much offensively, but he's got to grow into that. But overall, this team has become a lot better. Adding Carter Hart helped that, of course. But you need a good defense to help out your goaltender. So Carter Hart's game has turned around a bit. They've kept the puck out of the net. Brian Elliott, I wouldn't call it a resurgency in his career, but Brian Elliott's going back to the form he was a couple years before he got here. Yeah. So he's gotten back to that form where, okay, he is a solid 1B option. I mean, exactly. he's not, there's, Carter Hart's getting the majority of games right now, but really they are relying on two goaltenders right now. That, 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 that rotation they talk about, the goaltending tandem, you're, it's exactly what you're seeing. The Flyers have become, a team that has a goalie tandem, not a goalie carousel. Correct. Like, yes. that is the biggest difference. Everyone had always said, well, you have um, Steve Mason and I, I like and Scott Lawton. Like, I'm just using those as comparisons. Scott Lawton? I'm sorry. Um, Michael Neuver? Michael Neuver. <laughs> I, I mean, it's okay. You probably don't know yeah. his name because he was never on the ice because he got right. hurt after every, every second period. Like, the, Steve Mason and Michael Neuver were not a goalie tandem where they were just a goalie carousel. Now, obviously, there were injuries that factored into why that carousel kept going round and round, but also pace of play or quality of play. Steve Mason, I think he's in Chicago now. Well, Steve Mason's pretty much done. He's, he's been out. He was in Winnipeg for a stint. He was in Winnipeg for a season. He was supposed to be the starter two seasons ago, and then he got off to a and slow he made start. A good amount of money from that. Contract. He got the same exact contract he got here in Philadelphia. Yeah. two years, five point six million total, or something along mm-hmm. those lines. It wasn't. He got the pretty much the same exact contract. And in ter- but in terms of NHL, that's nothing to sneeze at. Like no. that's a good amount of money. No, that's that a you're guy contributing. He, he was supposed to be in Winnipeg as a stopgap, and not to go too far off topic. Mason, he had some knee injuries leading up to his departure here. He had some knee yeah. issues. He has concussion issues, you know, for a guy who was just under 30 years old, he had a lot, a lot of minutes. He'd been in the league for about 10 years. So mm-hmm. he was a solid goaltender when he first came here and he was still solid when he left, but he was always prone to the slow start. His last two years here, he was really slow starting and he would pick it up towards the end of the year. Problem was Mason, he got off to a slow start in Winnipeg and that was when Winnipeg's one of their best teams. And that's when Connor Hellbuck came in and won 40 games for him. So after that, they transferred his contract. He traded his contract to Montreal, and, he, and then he, and they got, he got bought out. But Mason's done. He's not coming back in yeah. the league. Neuver's done. He was supposed to be the backup in Toronto, but the guy can't stay healthy for more than a period. Yeah. And I say that, to be honest, I mean, it was only a matter – if you remember Peter Forsberg. Yeah. Peter Forsberg, yeah, it wasn't a matter if he got hurt. It was when he got hurt. Yeah. And Neuver went through the same thing. The whole point of this, though, is that I think that – Brian, give Brian Elliott a lot of credit because he's done things. He's noticed things when he's, when you get older as a goaltender, you can play into your late thirties. It's a little bit different than a forward. You you can. We saw that yeah. tonight. We saw a late well, uh, almost a forty year old. He's thirty seven yeah. in, in Henry, Henrik Lundqvist mm-hmm. go against the Flyers, who has been their thorn in their side right up there with Martin Brodeur in terms of wins against this team. Right. So like just the fact that you can go into this late age, Brian Elliott just seems. 
comfortable in his position. Yes, he's comfortable in a tandem, and he's comfortable with the fact that now he's not taking morning skates on daytime, on, on yeah. games. He's not really yep. skating during the day. If he does, he'll suit up, but he's not really pushing the pace in practice. He knows his yeah. body now that at 34 years old, he can't practice on game days the way he would before because it wears your body down. Carter Hart can do that all day long. I mean, he's, he's 21 years old. He, yeah. he got a, he's got a lot of miles Ca- left in the Carter tank. Hart continues to prove in and out for me why it's so great to have an actual goalie that is consistently your number one. Like, there is no doubt, in, and I don't think there's anyone out there, Flyers fans-wise, that can look at me in the face and straightly say, I still don't know if Carter Hart is our number one. I still don't know if Carter Hart is There's number no one. There's no way. <laughs> I just wanted to look okay. at you to say that. <laughs> like, no, because I could take you seriously. Because as you, as a goalie yourself, who has coached goalie, who, goalies, who has played the goalie position, I might have taken you seriously right there. No, he's, but, he's a legitimate starter in this league. It's just like I've been saying all year long. He's 21. Right, yes, He's yes, got yes. a long way to go before... When I when people in Philadelphia think of a starting goaltender, they think of Henrik Lundqvist. They think of Martin Brodor. They think of these guys who can play all these games and yeah. play solid night in, He's, night out. Tuka Rask. Right. Tuka Rask gets dogged up in Boston all the time, yep. which is why they brought in Yaroslav Halak, because they needed another goaltender to go with him so he could get the minutes off of him and play better later in the season. 100%. You need that with goaltending nowadays, you know. Mason, go back to Steve Mason. He said before he left, he doesn't believe in a goalie tandem. He believes there's a starter and a backup. Yeah. And it's not the way the game works anymore. Yeah. There's too many back-to-backs. There's too many things going on. By the time a goalie plays 60 games in a season, if you're playing a lot of back-to-backs, you're worn out for the playoffs. The golden ticket right now is between 50 and 55 games. If you have a good starter who can pick up the chunk of them, who can pay, play 60 you got to be prepared for the fact that he might wear down a little bit in the playoffs. That's and I still why. think, and and people will look at Carter Hart and say he needs to be on the upper echelon at 55 games. Yeah. That is 50 to 55 is the key I is still, the magic number. I, I think that's wrong at this point in his career, though. I would venture, to, like, I think, there, th- like, why? You, Steve Mason, I this has suddenly become a Steve Mason comparison episode. Steve Mason won the Vesnia in his rookie year. Because of his skills as a goalie at the ripe age, I believe it was 21. It was 20 when he came out. Like, and then he became what he is now. He's out of the league already. I don't think he's even 30. If he is 30, he's 31, 32. He's a younger guy. Like, I cannot safely say, or like, confidently say I want Carter Hart to play 55 games. I'm fine with maybe 47, 48, 51. Not enough. But like... I, I think Elliot is a because Elliot, despite having his despite having his injury passed, the fact that he is now the set backup. The problem with him, Neuverth, Mason, they were never dubbed number ones here because and when they were, they were only number ones for a short amount of time before they got injured, and then the next guy stepped up and they were like, Okay, I guess this is our number one. There was no consistency. Because Brian Elliott is able to safely say, I'm going to get 30 games this year, 32 games, this 28 games, something in that range, and safely have it on your body. And as you alluded to earlier, he's not play, he's not doing morning skates on game day. It's not the end of the world if Carter Hart only does start 48 to 51 games. Oh, I'm not saying that he shouldn't, but I would feel a lot more comfortable because – 
and this is regular season, because I anticipate after, the, like, we'll get into our year in review, this team is a playoff team. Carter Hart's going to play in every one of those games, barring injury. So it, it's not saying it's a detriment of his skill level to say, hey, you should only play 48 to 51 games, in my opinion, but it's a detriment to say, I don't want to get this kid killed for no reason, despite my expectations of him. Okay, so are you expecting the Flyers to go deep in the playoffs this year? Are you ready to have that conversation? Right no, now? I'm not. I don't want to have like I this like we're, we're this is our final episode of 2019. We're going to be back in 2020, the, the 6th of January. Like the the talk of where they're going to be in the playoffs is when they've maybe clinched the playoffs. Their magic number is two, whatever that that thing is. Okay. My thought process simply is Carter Hart is in his second year. Okay. He's hasn't. I don't think he's even approached a full season yet in terms of like eighty-two games played. No, no, he's not nowhere even close. close to that. No. So why are we like? I can look at Carter Hart's skill level and say he's our clear number one, and at the same time also say not coddle him, but also recognize the wear and tear he's not put on his body yet. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, he... You're starting to lose me here a little bit. 55 games. My my thought process is Carter Hart should play 55 games starting next year. One more season, because by the time we get to... Uh, he should be at 82 games or near that after this season. He'll, he'll have... A full season for a goaltender is about sixty games. I mean, right. we're talking in the schedule eighty-two, right? But the I, full, I, I, I see. What, yeah, right, right, I right, think right. you're getting a little. Okay, I, I see where you're going here. Mm-hmm. But let's let's look at the numbers. Right now, Carter Hart has started twenty-three games and has played in twenty-five. We were right, talking all the times that Elliot's yeah, gotten yeah, pulled because obviously Elliot's struggling. Right. Brian Elliott has started in fourteen games. And has played in 17 for the times that Carter Hart has gotten yanked. Yep. So it's a little back and forth there. So overall, they've played a total of 37 games. Carter Hart started 23. Brian Elliott has started 14. You go through the season on that. You double that. You're talking, since we're close to game 41, you're probably thinking about on this road trip coming up, they're probably going to split start somewhere. So I would say on on a four-game road trip that they have coming up, would yeah, say they, Carter they Hart up, they, probably they, coming they, either two or three starts for Hart or two starts and two starts. They start each. right away with a back to back. Right. So, starting the, so and right away, you know that Elliott's getting a game and you know that Carter Hart's getting a game. So let's put it this way. You're going to be a game 39 at that point. He's One's going to be at 24 starts. The other one's going to be at 15 starts. Let's double that. Well, he's already at 50 games. And then, and then Elliott's still under 30. You, you need your goaltender to play 50 to 55 games to get ready for the playoffs, to see enough action, enough minutes yeah. to be able to grind that out. You, yeah. you need to see those little nuances, little games. You you can't sit here and say, oh, he can't play 50 games. What's another four or five games with a 21 year I'm not saying he can't play fi- – and the way you say that, I, I my math is wonky, in, and I'm – I'm trying to – You didn't go to Penn State for math, that's right, for sure. I did not. <laughs> I'm trying to articulate that – Yes, I would like him to play that amount of games, the average amount of games that a goalie should be playing. That is a number one, 50-55 that you talked about. Are we ready to give Carter Hart that level of 
maturity, for yeah, a lack of a better term. Totally. Do we really think, okay. Without a doubt, absolutely. Let me ask you this. My, and the more I think about this, maybe I'm talking two ways out of my mouth. Because I've in the preseason pod, I said. I'm totally lost right now where you're going. Really? Here. Who are you prepared to give the keys to? Oh, Carter Hart. Okay. Who are you going to play in the playoffs if they get that far? Carter Hart. Okay. So that's all you need to know. That's fair. Okay. So he needs to my, get the 50-55 games. That's where he's going to need to play. That is a good sweet spot. Because at the end of the day, you're not playing games. John Torrey used to have a theory about you want your goaltender to play 60 to 65 games. Yeah, and that's why you only got to the final once and it wasn't even you because you're running your goaltender too hard. 50 to 55 games is the sweet spot. Because think about it. If you're going to go through the grind of a Stanley Cup playoff, think about it. You could have a minimum of four games or a maximum of 28, I believe. Yeah, Maximum four of 28. Rounds, seven games, so if you're going to play your goaltender in up to 28 additional games, you're already up that. So if you're playing 65 games, you want to pat them in another up, up, up to 28, you're already up over 90 games in a season. That's a lot of wear and tear on a guy. A lot of wear and tear. So the point is, is that if you're going to give Carter Hart the keys and you want him to carry this team, then don't break them down. Give him the 50 to 55. He's going to need to give him enough solid ice time this season in order to Make something happen. And that's my point. So let's not evaluate how many games are there. Roughly, you want 50 to 55 and 25 to 30 for your backup. That's what yeah, you want. Maybe my whole thought process was the nerv- my nervousness that we were going to start giving him 55 to 60, and that's a totally different conversation. 50, not really. Even fi- five games for a 21-year-old is not that big. It's when you get 60 or over is nowadays. And back in yeah. the days 20 years ago, yeah. your goaltender would run 60 to 65. There was one year that Grant Fuhrer started 79 games in 95-96. Yeah. And if he didn't get hurt, they probably would have went deep in the playoffs that year. There's another game year that – Martin Brodor played 79 games in one season. So you're talking, out of an 82-game schedule, your goaltender's running 79 times. Did they win a Stanley Cup in any of those years? No. no. You're right. not running your goaltender too hard. He's going to wear down at some point. You can't play him 60. you got to keep between 50 and 55. So far, the numbers keep that. Now, that's if Brian Elliott stays healthy. If they have an injury to Brian Elliott, that's going to change the subject a little bit because you're going to need to win those games. He's going to have to run them. If you remember back to 2005, 2006, Ontario Nidamaki's first year. Remember when Robert Esch got hurt? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Nidamaki played 20 games in a row. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. And he yeah, played this 20 was, this games was in a row, and they did not start anybody else. And guess what happened? He never was right after that. He could right. never grasp that role. It just wore him down, threw his hips out. He had bad hips after that. You, you have to still. The point is, I'm trying to make is that, yes, you have to be a little bit conservative here. But let's let's say 50 to 55 is the magic number where you need them to be. You give them the keys to the car after that, and let them drive you as far as you can. And that's that's what you that's what you do here, and that's exactly what they're doing right now. Yeah, I, maybe I'm I'm overcompensating to what how many games he could potentially play to what he should be. Maybe maybe at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I'm at where you are. I just did a horrible job of articulating why I need them <laughs> to be very conservative with Carter Hart at the same time as starting to give him the keys. Okay. Let, let, Beside let, the point. Let, hang on. Let's go Let's go back and let's take this. Let's get this in an example that people will understand. In 2016, there was a guy in this town who did not play one. Actually, he played in one preseason game, and he got hurt. And then guess what? Happened at the end of that preseason. 
They gave him the keys to the car. Who was that? Carson Wentz. Okay, exactly. That's my point. So yeah. that Carson go run with it. Guess what he did in the first year? Yeah. Kind of learned his lumps a little bit. Played the game. The first year. Had, good had, Okay. Yeah. And then the second year, what did they do? They was. He was going to be the MVP if he didn't tear his ACL. Yeah. Okay. And what did he do the year after that? He got hurt again. And what's he doing this year? Tearing it up okay. after last night. Yes. Keys to the car. Playing the right amount of games. Giving the guy the experience. 50 to 55 is where he needs to be. Brian Elliott is not a starter in this league anymore. He could play solid for 25 to 30. You play him more than that, you're going to see not the favorable results you're going to want to see. So, they're going to ride Carter Hart. He's going to be getting the majority of the starts here going forward. Now the team has got the flow going on. Mm-hmm. And you can start to see it. You can start to see overall the team is playing defensively, keeping a lot of chances to the outside. They're not letting guys get to the middle. Their zone entries look really clean. As we were watching the game tonight against the Raiders, you identified the F3. Yeah, Kevin and Hayes. Kevin Hayes was the F3 on the play. who scored the game-winning goal. And the point is, is that they are having a they're in a good flow right now, and they're playing very, very, very good hockey. So the whole thing is, is that let's not mess any of this up. Let's just keep going and enjoy it while you can. Again, yeah. they've won four in a row now. They've won four in a row after a disastrous week last week off the ice and mediocre play on the ice. And now they look like they haven't missed a beat. Yeah. And now they're off to the West Coast. It's the infamous uh, West Coast trip at the end of the year. Disney on ice is visiting. Yeah, yeah. post-Christmas into the new year. So they start off in San Jose. They're they're done with the Wells Fargo Center for the 2019 year. The infamous West Coast trip is coming along, starting on the 28th. San Jose is always that team. The West Coast trip is always a hit or miss, it seems. One, it's Flyers After Dark. Funnest thing on Twitter. If you have not followed the hashtag Flyers After Dark, it's an incredible follow, especially now that it's coming up because they have all these West Coast games. San Jose is the first one, and it's a back-to-back. I'm always wonky on these things. Well, San Jose just fired their coach a couple weeks ago, Pete DeBoer. Uh, they have not been playing up as well. They're not very good defensively as they usually are in the past. Their leading goal scorer is Tomas Hurdle. He's got 14 goals, 16 assists, 30 points so far. He's the leading goal scorer. Eric Carlson has the most assists with 24 on the team. Logan Couture leads the team in points with 33. That's a little uncharacteristic for them. They lost their captain, Joe Pavelski, to free agency in the offseason. I wouldn't say the Sharks are rebuilding, but they're not playing the way they usually are. Their goaltending has been absolutely putrid. Martin Jones is a very, very solid goaltender. 12, 14, and 1 with a 3, 2.29 goals against average and a .888 save percentage. And their backup, Aaron Dell, 4, 6, and 1, a 3.17 and a .898. So a lot of their players are minus on the year. They're not playing well defensively. Um, they've had gotten a little bit better since they changed coaches. They had to do it for hockey reasons. But overall, San Jose is not the San Jose that we're used to. So, But yet again, I think the Flyers only have one win at the Shark Tank in the last 10 years, 10 or 12 years. It's been a while since they've won there. They won there once, I believe, in 2014. Haven't really done much since. So it's always a tough thing. And then they go back to Anaheim after that, where they just beat Anaheim. And people don't realize that watching that game the other night, that's a lot tighter game than people want to give credit for. That was a 4-1 win against the Flyers at home against the Ducks. But the Ducks, they played that game tight for the most part. Don't forget, that was a 2-0 game for the most part. The Ducks, they, they just, they don't have enough scoring to really 
finish those games. They, it, they play tight defensively, and John Gibson showed why he's one of the best goaltenders in the league. Uh, but they're tougher than their record states. So that might be another challenge for the Flyers going back to that one again. Anaheim's always a weird, wonky team, but similar to what happened tonight, kind of. I mean, obviously it's di- different circumstances because the, the tonight's game was close against the Rangers just because of it was a consistent flow of going back and forth. Each team had their chances. Each team uh, was on their heels at some points. And, then, and it was mostly just because it, it was a division game. This was kind of just trying to feel each other out, figure out what's happening in terms of the Anaheim game before it finally converted and the Flyers opened it up. So these kind of things, and, and I think they had the benefactor we talked about. I mentioned it earlier. They're the best team at home. Right. So the fact that like they're go- this this trip away is always wonky for the Flyers just because. It is. And it sets a bit of a trap because all three teams are at the bottom of the Pacific Division. So and Anaheim it goes back the, to that Pacific Division right. rant that we've talked about how they've struggled against Calgary, they've struggled against San Jose, the Anaheim's like they obviously they just won against Anaheim this week, but in six days, whatever it is, seven days, they could easily drop it, and that's it's, the end of it. It's possible. Do I see that happening? No, I think they're playing consistently enough where they should be starting to beat the teams they should be. I mean. Ottawa gave them another slugfest the other night, and but they still came out with the win. Now, yeah. they've, they've beaten Ottawa two out of three times this season, but those were slugfests. Those teams at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the barrel, at uh, the bottom of the standings, Anaheim's sixth in the Pacific, the Kings are seventh, and the Sharks are last. So while they are bottom teams, they always still play tough. They they're they're tough teams to play against for some reason or another they're at the bottom it's usually because they just can't they can't score enough goals San Jose it's because of their defense the Kings are in a full rebuild Anaheim's in a bit of a rebuild here I think they're going to be good the real tests are going to be against Vegas who the Flyers actually play very well against they do they, they play well against Vegas they had the home opener or not the home opener just the season opener a couple years back I think it was actually last year two years ago now uh, where they. They won the game and right. they, in Vegas, and that was obviously Vegas coming off their ridiculous inaugural in, inaugural season, uh, where they went to the Stanley Cup final. Obviously, and ended up losing to Washington. And Vegas is just a weird place to play. Yeah, Vegas, the city, is obviously a, 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 a whether you go as on your own with friends or as a bachelor party, whatever, maybe bachelorette party. That place is weird in itself, and then the fact that you throw a hockey team in it that literally takes the showcase that is Las Vegas and throws it into a hockey arena yeah. is uh. crazy. It's a weird atmosphere. It's amazing how much that fan base has come along and how much they were already there since the start. I mean, yeah. you know, it's... Unlike the Oakland Raiders that they're about to get. Yeah, the right? Best. Yeah. I don't, I don't see that going well, but that's, that's not a different well podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Vegas is uh, Vegas is a fun team to watch. Mm-hmm. You know they they changed the rules of the expansion and they've gotten back in the day like when when Nashville was expanded and, and Atlanta who is now Winnipeg they expanded and Minnesota and Columbus and when they all came around they were getting like bottom bottom feed bottom feed yeah they were players. getting the nobodies that were they were the they were the, the scraps fourth, on the top teams yeah the fourth liners that didn't right. matter at the time but right. obviously because the nhl has changed where the fourth line matters mm-hmm. the nhl had to act accordingly for the expansion draft well and that's the thing too is that they could only the nhl put mandates on how many players they could specifically protect yes. so in order to get assets i get you got to give george Murphy their gm a lot of credit is that they they manufacture trades where you know they 
Vegas would identify a young player. Like a William Carlson was on Columbus, a younger player that, that, that Columbus could not protect. They could not protect him. So the key was, was that McPhee was saying, hey, look, instead of me taking this guy for nothing, how about we'll flip picks here and I'll give you something. I'll give you something. Let me take that player. Or they would say like, hey, well, teams were saying, okay, instead of taking this player, we'll trade you a first round pick and you can take this player instead. So they collected assets. So they, while they flipped some of their picks and were able to stockpile some of those to get a guy like Mark Stone at last year's trade deadline, they've built themselves a very, very competitive team for the future. The same thing is going to happen with Seattle next year. Is that it yeah? Would, because I believe that um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Ron Hextall is going to be part of that team too. That doesn't shock me. Yeah, yeah. I think Hextall is going to be part of that manager team. I, I might have to double confirm that. I apologize, but I, I, that might be the case. But the point is, is that these teams are automatically going to come out of the gate competitive, like Vegas going forward. The crazy thing is, is that the two best teams in the Pacific Division are in the middle of the desert. I mean. Edmonton has slid to third in the division. They had not been playing well as of late. Arizona's still in first, and Vegas is in second. So it's crazy to me that hockey has taken off in the desert. Of all places it shouldn't, it's been taking off in the desert, and the two top teams are in the desert. It's crazy to me. Yeah, well, the smartest thing that they did was everyone was jockeying for who's going to be the first team between the NFL and the NBA in terms of who's going to be the first, uh, have their first team in Vegas. Mm -hmm. And suddenly the NHL just said, no, we're going to do it. And this was, like, we criticized and we've talked about how they don't do enough in terms of marketing, and they don't. They don't. We're going to talk about the Winter Classic in a few minutes here. Like, this this was one of the best moves that they ever made. Oh, without a doubt. To get get into Vegas first, forget um, L.A., because, like, the L.A. Kings are obviously different because they're already there. And they're, besides the L.A. Lakers and the Clippers, the Kings were the only team until recently with the Rams and the Chargers. But still, the NHL was already there. They didn't worry about Seattle until recently because Seattle is an NBA city. Like, they're, the, the when the NBA finally brings that team back, and they will, Seattle's hockey team will already be there. But they were smart because they just said, that'll be our second expansion. We're going to focus on Vegas. Yeah. And they came out of nowhere, it seemed. Like, all of a sudden, I remember the press release with Gary Bettman, and he was just like, and I was just like, wait, I, this was supposed to be the NFL's thing or the yeah. NBA's team. Yeah. They wanted Vegas first, and the NHL smartly snuck under them and popped up right out of the ground. And it's been a great move for the league. They got a lot of publicity in that first year, built a solid fan base. And you talk to any hockey fan. And they have nothing bad to say about the Golden Knights. I mean, like... Could have been a better nickname. I I think it's different. It's it's different. different. But if you're in Vegas, you got to do something casino-based. I would say that. I mean, they they patented a couple of names first, like the Black Knights and certain things like that. But, I mean, it's still got the Golden Golden Knights, like... And it's still, it, it's, 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 it talks about like, to me, that, that symbolizes gambling. <laughs> yeah. It does I mean, at the end of the day, number. like if they were the Las, Las Vegas aces, it would have been two on the nose for me. Right. But, exactly. So I guess Golden Knights is a little bit in an, a, a more subtle way, but it just seems weird. The Golden Knights, it, it, I don't know. That's the it's only different. thing that I had like a problem with was Vegas, but they, they're, they're, Genius marketing by the NHL. I, I they, and their social media is incredible. Oh the my Vegas goodness! Now, it's a it, the Vegas. It's a it's the best thing on Twitter. It really is. Yep. Like there's so many things that they do. Is that 
it, it just it look it's amazing. I can't describe it. You have to go online. You have to look and see what they've done. It, it, the, whoever runs that account deserves an award. In fact, mm-hmm. that person should probably be in the headquarters of the NHL, not at the team level. Yeah, because the league. I'm sorry. It's starting to shoot themselves in the foot with the Winter Classic type deal. Yeah, let's get into this because we we just praised their 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 doing of Las Vegas, and I gotta say, the Winter Classic when it first started, whenever that was, 2010. No, no, 2000, I'm sorry, 2008, 2008, Buffalo and Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's and the right. Snowman. 2009 was, was the Flyers Boston one. 2010. No, that was 2010 because they went to the Cup that year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So either way, since 20 – so we're on our 11th year with this thing. It has become – I don't even want to say a showcase. It's just another game at this point, yeah. and that's the problem. Yeah, right? it's lost its spectacle. It's lost its spectacle, and it's not just because of the Winter Classic itself. It's because they've added the Stadium Series. It's because they don't market the Heritage Classic, which is basically like the Canadian Winter Classic. Think of it like that. Heritage Classic is just – so roots of Canada and stuff like too, too deep to go into for this specific podcast. The Winter Classic itself is in Dallas this year. If you didn't know, Dallas, Dallas Stars and the St. Louis Blues. Now the St. Louis Predators. I'm sorry, redo that. I this year it's in Dallas with the Dallas Stars and the Nashville Predators, two teams that have nobody on them. Worth, like, truly watching and if you're a casual fan. Correct. Like. Keyword. If you're a casual, casual fan, fan, there's no enticing to watch this game. I, I, I'm not kidding. I don't know what they've been running promo-wise for it. Have they been running promos? Haven't seen them. I certainly haven't. Like, haven't it is December 23rd. The Flyers just beat the New York Rangers. Now, I get it. There are local broadcasts with NBC Sports Philly. But wouldn't the NHL say, hey, we need to go into every individual market's broadcast team and broadcast the hell out of this? Forget playing it on Saturday night or or Saturday afternoon marquee game. Forget about it on Wednesday night rivalry. You do, like, we know you're going to broadcast it on that. How are you not calling up? I'm sure the only two uh, local broadcasts that have it are the Dallas Stars and the Nashville Predators. And it's a no-duh moment. Why wouldn't they? The fact that I didn't see it once during the, the Philadelphia the, tonight's game, I'm sure L.A. is not seeing it. New York is not seeing it. That is the problem right there. Yeah. And the problem is it's, it's lost its spectacle, as you said. There's no marketing with it. And frankly, with all due respect, I get the NHL wants to say, hey, we could probably have a winter classic in in most cities, they get most teams to play this. But nobody in their right friggin' mind in Dallas in January is going to be watching hockey. Yeah. They're not. I mean, they barely watched their crappy football team. <laughs> we had to get that in. I had to. Yeah. But the point is, is that, look, when I, as a casual fan, I'll watch the game because I like to watch in the Winter Classic, and yeah. I want to see two different teams play like Dallas and and in Nashville. Yes, me personally, because I'm a big hockey fan. Right. I watch the game because I the, like hockey. The problem is, is that nobody, if they're going through their channel list on New Year's Day, is going to be say, hey, let me stop what I'm doing and let me watch the Predators and the Stars. Especially 
because you're going against college football that day. Yeah. College football is New Year's Day and uh, the day of the national championship, which is always two weeks a, later, a week later, whatever yeah. it is. Like, you're going against these things that, despite what you think about the NCAA, owns that day right now. You own that day in 2008, 2009. Yeah. 2010, then, 2010, 2011, 2012. Even 2012, because that was the New York Rangers Flyers year. I remember seeing a stat, a story that was the lowest rated winner classic at that point. Obviously, it's certainly gone downhill since then, mm-hmm. but that should have been the alarm right there yeah. of why they, what they has, what has become a, a just another game for everyone in the stands because they tried to marquee it and say. Not even Marquette. They tried. Their solution was okay. The Winter Classic is struggling, but we still need to keep it because it's kind of the thing that everyone is supposed to look. We want people to look for on New Year's Day, and the thought process was let's add more. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It cra- like the Stadium Series. The stadium last year Series is up. It's been garbage. I mean, they had in Dodger Stadium. They had the Ducks and the Kings a few years ago. I'm sorry. There's no place in Dodger Stadium. In that climate, for a hockey game outside, yep. it does not give to the allure. In 2008, when the Sabres played the Penguins, it snowed for the entirety of that game. And it was awesome. It was amazing. It was one of the best. Look, at that time, that's when Crosby was at his peak. The Flyers-Penguins rivalry was just becoming to bid. The Flyers were on the rebound. Mm-hmm. Buffalo was still a good team. Had Ryan Miller and goal. Had some good players on the team. And I remember just... Watching them, like, damn, this is a fun freaking game to watch. Like, it's just, it, it's just, they're just playing and having fun out there. You could see it. I can't remember who played in 2009. I, I, it, it's, it's been, but even, it's probably Boston, Chicago. That was I think probably it was Chicago. Chicago yeah. Chicago. And then, I think it was Chicago and Detroit that year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It might have been. Anyway, then in 2010, the Flyers go to Fenway and, and play in Fenway. Another fantastic game. It was one of the best ones. It's a great spectacle. Yeah. And then in 2012, they come here to Philadelphia against the Rangers. I was there for it. It was a great time. But that was the only time they really had it. They had the alumni game the day before. The issue was, in my view, is that now they've watered it down. They're saying, okay, you know, we're going to add a few of these a season. We're going to have a couple outdoor games. So it's A, loss of the spectacle. And B, they're putting teams there that nobody cares about. And C, the problem is, too, is that when you have it on New Year's Day in a northern climate, you're pretty much guaranteed it's going to be cold. But then they said, hey, let's have it near the end of February in Philadelphia last year where it rained the whole time. Yeah. It was disgusting. It, it, the ice gets such bad shape with that. That's why it was such a sloppy game. It was, it was a sloppy was a green, game, but they it, won. It was, but it was, it was fu- it was, the only reason it was fun was because they, they ended won. up winning. They tied the game late and won. Is there a reason why it fun? Otherwise, it would have been a total bore. Yeah. But, and, and Gritty went streaking. Yeah, that was actually great. And the way he came in uh, they, they, down the, down the street, cool. that was really I cool. Did, I, I, uh, small humble brag. I was fortunate enough because I worked worked with WIP at the time. Uh, I was able to sit, see that game in the press box. And you saw Gritty at the top of the stands, and you're just like, <laughs> oh, no. Oh. What's about to happen? And it was awesome. Like, the, in that aspect. But, again, it comes down to localized. It's extremely localized. Mm-hmm. So I talked about this before the before we got on the air today. Two games. Only two games should be outdoors nowadays. The Winter Classic. And no, it's not a stadium series. You could claim it's a stadium series if you want to market it that way. But it's a game that 
doesn't matter. Yeah. The All-Star game. Yes. That's the only two games. If the NHL does an incredible job, we talked about how they did a great job with marketing um, the Las Vegas. They do a great job with the NHL All-Star Week. What uh, The skills competition, the draft, the 3v3 between the divisions now that has changed since they did East versus West, uh, NHL versus the world, or uh, U.S. versus the world, whatever it was. Like, they have done an impeccable job of doing this. Take it outdoors. Yeah. That's all I'll tell you. Without like, who cares? Like, that means now you'll never host a, have an all-star game in uh, in, in Florida or wherever they, like, the last year. If I, they ever have a Winter Classic in Florida, I'll never, I won't watch it. I right. can't wa- but I like couldn't that, watch a stadium series a couple right. years ago with that hot climate crap. And now you're going to Dallas with it? Come on. Yeah. So uh, just cut, narrow it down. NHL, mm-hmm. I'm begging you. Yeah. Gary Bettman, just do it twice a year. The Winter Classic. And as much as people bitch and moan about how, oh, well, it's always Chicago. It's always Boston. It's always Pittsburgh. No, duh. Yeah. They are the teams that should be there. That is an opportunity. And here's here's what they're missing out of the Winter Classic. Do they want to get every one of these home teams to be able to say, oh, we were in a Winter Classic. And get that outdoor experience for their local teams. You can bring them teams. to the north. Yes. Have a neutral site game. They've talked about for years now having Flyers and the Penguins at Beaver Stadium, which would fill in a second. It That's 110,000. It it's 110,000. There's alcohol issues that prevent that. Oh, okay. That's the because well, there's no beer sales in Beaver Stadium. Okay, well then drink before you come issue. in. You know, but okay, right. that, but I get also, the point. But that's because of sponsorships. I, I don't mean to go on this tangent. <laughs> it's only because you went to Penn State. That's why. Well, that's why I know. <laughs> that you, I remember when I was at a Penn State game with a buddy of mine who was a student. We had just turned 21, or he had just turned 21, and we go into the game, and he goes, all right, I'm going to go get some beer. You want anything? And I go, where are you going? <laughs> where are you going that's for this beer? Bad. Like, where are you going to get this beer? Yeah. So that's why. Because, obviously, I think Coors Light is a, is their marquee sponsor. At least it, it, you see it all the time on NBC Sports Network. That is their marquee sponsor. So when you host these games, Coors Light is heavily involved. Right. Every beer company is heavily involved. So that's why the neutral site of Beaver Stadium, as, much, as great of a spectacle it would be, I don't see it happening because Penn State tries to be a dry campus. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. The point. But to your point about yeah. it needs to be on a neutral site, site is perfectly applicable. And here, here's the thing: the any the that is they don't realize that the Winter Classic is an opportunity to do all of the marketing they can do to the casual fan. Well, New Year's Day, if you're against college football, you don't stand a chance unless you market the hell out of it. You got to yeah. have the two most popular teams, and you got to market the hell out of their star, hell out of their stars. Here is the other issue I have: a holiday break. There's going to be really no games for the next four days. Yeah. Okay, the NBA every See, year has their Christmas spectacle. I agree. And here's where I uh, I think this is – I shouldn't say it's a problem. I, I want to – I need to clarify. This is not – I'm not labeling this as a problem, but this is a factor. It's because it's Canada. Because America has commercialized Christmas, and, and I think Canada and everywhere else around the world is trying to still keep that day – Sacred, quote unquote, because America has decided we're going to national or commercialize this and make it a tradition of NBA games. The NHL doesn't want to dip their toes into that, and that's their own fault. They don't put it in the Canadian markets, then right? Have the Canadian teams off, and 
have a game. Yeah, but you have on... Canadian players on every American team. But here, here's here's Switzerland the big Swiss players. Yeah, right. But here's the bigger picture. Okay, mm-hmm. but here here's the bigger. picture. I agree with that, you, by the way. Look, but I'm just I'm just I, trying to take the other side. I get your point. The family aspect of it. Nobody should be pulling away their families on Christmas. But there's a lot of people who work on Christmas. There's a lot of people that work on Christmas, and not many get paid what the NBA gets paid. Right. And what the Bingo. NHL gets paid. Yes. And here's my other here's my other thing with this that just drives me nuts is that the NBA owns Christmas Day unless the NFL's playing. There's nothing else on mm-hmm. Christmas Day besides a Christmas story. On TBS. Or, for <laughs> yeah. By the way. <laughs> it's the I, best Christmas movie ever. Oh, I see that look. You want to have this debate here no, right now, buddy? I'm not having this debate. Why? A Christmas Story is the worst oh, freaking movie. You go to hell. No. Go to it's hell. so overrated. No. That is the best Christmas movie ever. All he wanted was a BB gun. Like, F you, man. That is the kid that... Are I you kidding care. me? Have you never had a gift like that when you were a kid that got you that excited? You just thought about it for an entire month, and your life was obsessed about it when you were a kid. I'm sure I did, but I'm not going to make a movie about That's it. That's the point. That's the point of the movie. That's why it's so good. No. Oh, I, this is a hockey podcast. It doesn't matter. This is, that, is, that is an issue with... No, don't you start throwing things around here now. <laughs> this is an issue of man a man card at this point. I don't think I don't think TBS even... No, they definitely still do. But like... It's I, either TBS or TNT. It, every year it's over 24 it hours. It be both of them at this point. <laughs> I, I think it is actually. It was last year. I think it was both. Like... The Santa Claus with Tim Allen is the better Christmas movie. Let's get that out of the way. No, 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 no. But Home I, Alone is the best of all time. Oh, uh, okay, fine. But there's nothing better on Christmas Day than that that, that movie running for 24 hours straight. Oh, my God. With a little Die Hard mixed in, too. Oh, uh, this is why we have Disney Plus now. <laughs> yeah, you get the Yule Log that's with the Elsa and Anna castle. That's, that's oh, there. Olaf? Yeah, not Olaf. Ooh. No, 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 no. They're, they're the Yule Log. Oh, the Yule Log, yeah, the yeah, log, yeah, the yeah, log yes, that they watch on TV. It's yeah. it's Anna and Elsa's castle. Yeah. You should cut this out from the podcast because if my buddies hear this, you're like, dude, what the <laughs> frick are you talking about? How do you know this? The you point two, is, you have two young children. Yeah, okay. Both my, boys, my wife but it puts it matter. on. I listen. When you get married and you're a man, you do not own the remote control anymore. When you when you put a ring on a woman's finger and and give your vows, you also give up your remote control rights. So that's what happens oh. there. Fair enough. Okay. Christmas story sucks. Yeah. But you're you're out of your goddamn mind. But to your point, I don't just because I'm not going on a coffee stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Worst time. Like the NHL needs to just suck it up. They pay these players enormous amounts of money. Right. You're able to set aside Christmas Day. I'm sorry, man. This is how like we the Flyers don't play again until the twenty eighth. Today's the twenty third. And I agree, they get five days off, and everybody should be with their families around the holidays. I can respect that. But wouldn't it be really cool? The NHL could think of it like this. If you have a Christmas Day spectacle leading into the Winter Classic a week later, you could do so much marketing around that time and get the casual fan involved. Here's why. Can you imagine if your team was the Christmas Day spectacle? Okay, I have no problem if it's the Stars and the Predators on the Christmas Day spectacle. They're at a game. You make a big show out of it. Make it awesome. Can you imagine being a kid in Dallas? Mm-hmm. You're waking up in the morning, yeah. and you're Chris, you get all your Christmas gifts, and all of a sudden you look in your stocking or something, and there's two tickets to a game. You and your and your dad or something are going. Yeah. And that would be an amazing. Like, hey, and guess you- what? Get your clothes together. We got you know. You unwrap your right. gifts. We're going to the game. 
Here's the thing, That'd be too. awesome. Here's the thing, too. What happened to the behind the stories thing? Oh, yeah. What happened? Like, you don't, even have, to, you don't even have to play a game between now and, like, for the Christmas holiday. This is when you play, play the, that, that behind the scenes. The NHL did a great job when they did the behind the scenes look in the locker room. See, they had one where the Leafs and the Red Wings, they had one. And it, was, it wasn't as good because Mike Babcock kept chasing the cameras out of the room. You know, you give these NFL teams this unlimited access. You do all these things behind the scenes. There really is something unique about an NHL locker room. And I think it would be beneficial for the league to get fans. Ca- because I think that the casual fan can't really get into it because they don't understand enough. Now, we can continue doing our coaching chalk talks on and, and showing people how hockey works specifically, but you can't get into the inner functionings unless you get access to that locker room and really see what's going on behind the scenes. Yep. And the NHL has struggled on that for years, and that's why they are number four. Now, they need to take this whole week between Christmas and New Year's because kids are off from school, people are off from work. Yes, while there's traveling, you have an opportunity there to get casual fans to be like, whoa, like, Football season's wrapping up. My team is probably out of the playoffs. You have an opportunity to jump in on those specific markets, too, and say, hey, guess what? This is this is something we have an opportunity here to be able to show people what hockey's really like. Now the yep. football's over, and that fan base is done and over with. I mean, most of the fan bases, if they're not making the playoffs, they're not. They're going to follow, but you're going to casually follow. Yep. And now that's an opportunity for the NHL to get in there and grab those fans and pull them away from the NBA if they can, because but you need locker room access. You need to make a make a spectacle out of Christmas Day, make it a special game, and then you have the Winter Classic where you have that mainly in your Northeast states, and you have it with your biggest rivalries. It doesn't matter if they're good or bad or not, but you can't carry marketing in a city like Nashville and a city like Dallas and an outdoor game when it's not an outdoor hockey climate. Yep. You're just not going to get the casual person to care. Now, I get very, very passionate about this and energetic about this because I want the league to succeed because it is a great sport. And while the league, in their mind, is doing the right thing, it's poor execution. While the league does a great job of being able to get into these two markets and be able to pull those fan bases in for an entire day, the problem is you're missing 29 other ones who really don't care. And you need to get those 29 markets involved in that game somehow. You did it in 2008. You did it in 2009. You did it all the way to 2012. Then when you added the stadium series, it started going downhill. If they eliminate the stadium series and they turn that into like a Christmas Day spectacle where you have a big focused national game Whatever reason, no. it's the Christmas spectacle. And, and then you have the Winter Classic where it's your biggest rivalry with your biggest stars, yeah. and you market the hell out of it. You don't even have to own try and own Christmas Day. You can own Boxing Day. Like, I don't care. They own Columbus Day. They have games on Columbus Day every year. So why not go for, like, m- t- cut out your corner of the week between Christmas and New Year's and culminate it with the Winter Classic? Bingo. That's all you have to do. Like, it's not that difficult, and the NHL and Gary Bettman, whoever the marketing president is, just shoot themselves in the foot and don't care. They watered it down. They've watered it down, and it's not a spectacle anymore. It's just another game. You need to bring it back to where it's a spectacle, and it's the must-watch thing on TV. 
You have a lot of competition, but make it that reason why. When I when they like I said, when they used to have it and really was the only one, it was the game to watch because it was always yeah. always good. You woke up on at 10, 10 a.m. after your New Year's Day of uh, New Year's Eve day of drinking or night of drinking, and you woke up and you're like, oh yeah, what a classic is on. Yeah, nothing else is on. Uh, well, except I'm gonna wait for the the like. The only benefit you have of playing it at noon on New Year's Day is there's not the big college bowl games yet. Right. They're later in the around 5 p.m. as the Rose Bowl right. and all that. Right. So you have this like three to four hour window on New Year's Day from noon till 3, 3.30 where you can completely own it and they just don't want to. And they've yeah. completely failed. They've fallen flat on their face and their solution was let's throw more outdoor games in the middle of February and late March and see how it goes. Completely failed. Yeah. That is going to do it. This has been an extremely long podcast, no, longer than our normal, but it is because this is our final one of 2019, Scott. It We're is. We're taking off next week. We're going to reset, recharge the batteries, enjoy this West Coast trip. Should be a good one. It starts in five days from now. It is a five-day break for the Philadelphia Flyers, so I hope they are well-rested. Keep an eye out on our Facebook page. We have ideas next for our Chalk Talk series. And we want to hear from you. We are either going to do goaltending, defense, or special teams. It's your call. Scott, your call, everybody. I think I have an idea of what Scott wants to do, but he is leaving it in your hands of what he you should hear from us on the next step. We, I, Like we, we talked about earlier, we've gotten people say, I now watch games looking for the F1, the F2, and the F3 when the Flyers are on the rush. And... I cannot explain. I don't think Scott can explain either how awesome that is to hear from you guys. I can't tell you how much we appreciate the positive feedback we received. Everybody who's given it to us, we really, really, really are happy with the fact that you've enjoyed that. And we want to bring you more. But instead of us saying, hey, we're going to teach you this, what do you want to learn? So the point is, if you want to learn something, you tell us. Goaltending, defense, special teams. I'll leave it up to you guys and gals. You tell me what you want to know, and we will teach you. So look for that poll. It's going to be on our Facebook page, Orange and Backcheck. Follow us on follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. We're all going to put our we're going to put our poll up on that. Let us know, and we'll have our results on our next podcast, which will be February. Or I'm sorry, January seventh. That we're is not taking that long of a break. No, we're not taking that long of a break. We're we're going to be back in just a, in a week, in two weeks. We're taking next week off. We'll be back in two weeks for our first episode of 2020. For Scott Weinhardt, I'm Bill Kornfeld. See you in 2020. Christmas story rolls! <laughs>